0: it going everybody this is the nitty-gritty this is a show about wrestling my name is chad with me as usual is leonard and this week we are going to be covering it's not a spotlight per se but we're going to be covering covering roddy garvin and his stint in the wwf uh but before we get to that i would just like to add that uh not this past uh dynamite that was at uh, arthur ash stadium but the one before that which was in newark new jersey i actually went to that event with my daughter and uh it was a lot of fun um our seats weren't the greatest they were fairly nosebleedish leonard but uh you know it was still fun and uh it was cool to see you know we got to see you know kazarian versus adam cole which was a pretty solid match and You know, CM Punk came out and Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson and all that kind of stuff. Um, It it was a cool event to go to. Now, I had purchased these tickets pre-COVID and it got delayed, delayed uh, Mm -hmm. until now. Um, But it was a good show to to go to. I I would say just as a comparison uh, from WWE to AEW in terms of production, it was much harder to hear what they were saying on the mic while -hmm. you were sitting in the arena. Um, Now, on TV, I'm sure it's very clear. But, like, from where we were sitting, it was at times hard to hear what people were saying on the mic. For whatever now that I was. would
1: be interested if that was an issue with AEW or if that's an issue just with that stadium.
0: Yeah. No. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, in any event, uh, you know, it was one merch booth. And it was a really super long line for the merch booth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, anyway... It was a fun show. And uh, then they they did a nice uh, big show at Arthur Ashe Stadium, which was also pretty good. But uh, anywho, Leonard, did you uh, have some recent events to share as well?
1: Yeah, well, you know, interestingly enough, um, Extreme Rules was here. Some viewers might know that I'm in Columbus, Ohio. Extreme Rules was here on Sunday, which I totally forgot about until a friend of mine posted pictures that they had went so that shows you how much I'm paying attention to the current product. You didn't miss um, anything. Yeah, well, I mean, and even like you said, you were up high, but still always cool to, to be there. To, to be Absolutely. In. Like, I'm not a hockey fan, but I've gone to hockey games. Right, right, right. The experience of being there. But yeah, the, the interesting thing that I probably have done recently is that, um, and this would relate to your other show, your movie show, um, with Eric Lures, is that uh, I went to see The the Room at uh, st- uh, Studio 35 here in, in Columbus, and uh, Greg Sestero, who plays Oh Hi Mark, was there. Uh, <laughs> I love that and, that's what you call his character. <laughs> yes. Well, he, he I got his autograph on the actual script of The Room, and he wrote Oh Hi Leonard, Greg Sestero on it, which I assume is what he does for all his autographs. Uh, super nice, probably one of the nicest celebrities I've I've ever met. Um, if, interestingly enough, right when we got there, he was just sitting at the bar. There's It's a movie theater in the back with a bar in the front, that kind of place, and he was sitting at the bar, you know, just having dinner, and we wound up sitting just, just near him, and I didn't want to bother him, but I'm wearing, and that's the reason I wore this, my uh, Rambo mugshot shirt from the from the film nice and he saw it and complimented me on it and then we started talking because he's apparently reading the book first blood Ah. right now and is a huge fan the film and we got talking about the movie and some other stuff and then for the rest of the night he called me johnny rambo whenever he saw
0: me so that's not a bad nickname to have
1: yeah it's not a bad nickname to have greg sistero knows me as johnny rambo also his selfie game was strong we went up to him and and uh, Jenny, my wife and I, uh, he, he took my phone, grabbed it and with one hand flipped it, hit the button to flip the camera and and then took like three pictures super fast and handed it back to me. And they were all, you know, spot on. Everything was framed. Everything looked great. And and I said that to him and he said, yeah, you know, I've, I've gotten I've had to become good at that so he's someone who really appreciates the fans he did about a half hour q a where he answered questions he has a super great sense of humor uh about it and he's he's very you know humble about the fact that not just this film but the the fact that he did the book the disaster artist alvid and then the movie came out of that um you know he's very humble that's given him some some fame and you know crazy enough i saw like after he left columbus ohio he flew to fargo north dakota like the very next day to do the same thing Saturday night. And then I think, I don't remember, I think it was Kansas City he went to, but you know he's on this barnstorming tour of the US as it were. So anyway, for people who are interested in hearing about Ronnie Garvin, let's get to that.
0: Yeah, people who tuned in to hear about Ronnie Garvin are now hearing about The Room. No, you're not being uh, punked. No. Um, But uh, anyway, let's get to... Ronnie Garvin and his stint in the WWF. Just some background information. He was born Roger Barnes, and he is from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. And He was born March 30th, 1945. And obviously, he would have stints in uh, Jim Crockett promotions. And more importantly, uh, you know, and obviously associated with the NWA, he would become NWA champion by defeating Ric Flair. And he would help hold the title for two months before losing it back to Flair at Starcade, And that would put him in a feud with Kevin Sullivan and the Varsity Club. This would also lead to him kind of turning heel by attacking Dusty Rhodes to keep him from defeating uh, Barry Windham for the U.S. title. Uh, he was going to be managed by Gary Hart, but he left... Uh, After only a few months as a heel uh, before the August 20, August 12th card in Norfolk, Virginia, after a disagreement. So he would then have short uh, stays in the AWA. And then he would also feud with Carlos Colon in Puerto Rico over the WWC universal heavyweight championship. So that was in 1988, that last part with Puerto Rico and the AWA. And that would put him into the WWF he ended up going there um, as a result of uh, Pat Patterson that's kind of that was his in uh for you know kind of getting into Vince's ear so to speak he uh would compete at the 1989 Royal Rumble and he would be eliminated by Andre the Giant which is probably aside from Hulk Hogan the best person to be eliminated by in the Royal Rumble at least no. I would say <laughs>
1: at that time yeah
0: yeah he would have a match at wrestlemania 5 against dino bravo he would lose that match uh but then obviously he would go on to feud with greg valentine and that would last pretty much his entire stay at wwf so i'll pause there um simply to get leonard's thoughts on roddy garvin's Career before WWF and then leading into his start. So Leonard, I know you're a huge Garvin fan. So yeah. when did you get into him?
1: You know, as, as as I think I've mentioned on the show before, when I was a kid, my great grandmother grew up in the home with me till I was about twelve, and she watched wrestling with me, and her favorite wrestler was Ronnie Garvin, and her least favorite wrestler was Ric Flair. So that might have something to do with it in that '87 feud. Uh, that they had so yeah I grew up a Garvin Mark and uh, I think I mentioned a few years ago that uh, I had well I mentioned on the show that that a few years ago I had uh, met Ronnie Garvin at a big show in Circleville Um, and I got to do a locker room talk with him so it was about six seven eight guys Uh, my Ronnie, who's a good friend of the show was there with me and we got to sit back and talk with Garvin for about an hour. And and we talked mostly about his start in the business and his NWA run, but we did talk a little bit about his WWF run. And a lot of what he told us kind of coincided with some videos that I watched him talking about it and Greg Valentine talking about him being in WWF. And one thing I'd like to you know mention here before we get going is that one of the guys back there asked him about the nickname change going from the man with the hands of stone to rugged Ronnie Garvin and if he liked that and he said he didn't care you know if if he said Vince McMahon thought he could market rugged Ronnie Garvin better or could make more merchandise with rugged that was fine for what he was being paid to be there he didn't care right and I think that's a very important point about ronnie garvin is i think he was always viewed as a company man if you tell ronnie garvin to go out and do something ronnie Garvin's going to go do it uh you know and that was how he got the nwa title for about two months because they just wanted to do this hot shot change and he said you know sure that he would he would do that because it was you know considered to be best for business so and and we did talk a little bit about the um greg valentine feud and uh this also coincides with the videos i watched uh the idea that uh when he got there he was basically asked well what do you want to do who do you want to work with right and he said greg valentine that they had work and i don't know if they had worked with each other like opposite or in tag teams or just around each other in mid-atlantic in the late 1970s and so he was familiar with greg and of everyone on the roster Greg was the guy who I think had a style the most similar to Ronnie. They both yeah. were stiff, especially for the time period, and especially for what other WWF guys were doing. It was a feud way different. They were characters way different than what else the WWF was putting out at the time. Um, again, I was probably the only kid. I would have been nine, 10 years old during Garvin stint in the WWF. I was probably the only, you know, 10-year-old Garvin fan that was out there. Um <laughs> So, but I'll, I'll, you know, I'll throw it back to you to kind of profile that, that feud, but I really like that feud. I think it's an underrated feud. And I think there's two really cool elements of that feud that, that um, I'll let you go over and then, and then I'll chime in on.
0: Right. Well, as I said, this feud lasted a while. So he would have a match with Greg Valentine on April 22nd, 1989. Garvin won that match. And Valentine was interviewed immediately after this and challenged Garvin to a retirement match the next week. And Valentine won that match. So that kind of, you would think that might end the storyline, but it didn't. It actually started the storyline and kind of propelled it forward. Garvin would then get his wrestling or referee license, I should say, and would, you know, referee during Valentine's matches and, uh, You know, as well as Dino Bravo and Brooklyn Brawler and uh, would kind of fight with the wrestlers who didn't listen to his orders. Um, He would uh, have warnings from President Jack Tunney and would end up punching Valentine during a match against Jimmy Snuka, which ended up getting him banned from refereeing. So at SummerSlam, he became the special ring announcer for Valentine's match against Hercules. And uh, this was, you know, this this was obviously very funny as well. And uh, this kind of continued the feud. And this would involve Valentine asking that Garvin be reinstated so that he could have a match with him again. And so for the next uh, few months, they would have matches at house shows and would kind of alternate victories and then would have a Pretty much the the feud end would be a submission match at the 1990 Royal Rumble, which Garvin won. Before the Royal Rumble, they would compete at the Survivor Series. They would be on opposite teams on the four on four Survivor Series elimination match. Uh, Garvin was a member of the Four by Fours, and uh, Valentine was a member of the King's Court. So after this feud, he was going to feud with Rick Martel. They would cut promos on each other, but. The match between the two never happened on TV. They would, I guess, be together on a couple house shows with Martell winning, but Garvin would leave the WWF in November of 1990, and according to interviews, this was because it was hunting season, and he wanted to go hunt, and uh, that's, when I heard that, Leonard, I couldn't help myself but be reminded of Sid and softball season and all those rumors, Uh Garvin does not get uh critiqued for wanting to leave during hunting season. Yeah, I think it's more fun to make fun of Sid for softball season anyway.
1: Yeah, uh, I think along with softball Sid, we should add deer hunting Ronnie Garvin to the list of wrestlers (laughs) or
0: right. And he's he said in these interviews that he just didn't he didn't fit in there. And uh you can't really argue with that. I love the feud with Valentine, but Mm -hmm. As you said, you know, what was going on in that feud was very unlike anything else going on at the WWF at that time. Um, and as far as the name goes, like that, you know, he kind of had the right viewpoint in terms of not caring. I mean, it's just kind of the nickname part of his name.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: if they had, you know, named him the Rugged Man.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Didn't want him to be referred to as Ronnie Garvin. That'd be a little bit different.
1: Today, he'd be something like, like Reginald Gibson.
0: Yeah. Or or they might might pull a a Daniel Bryan on him and, you know, this is uh, Gary Ronald, Garvin Ronald coming to the ring, which is just ridiculous. But yeah. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the name was what it was. I I remember him as a kid and I remember like not really knowing a whole lot about this this guy's personality, Mm -hmm. but loving the Garvin stomp. (laughs) Yes, I thought the Garvin stomp was really, really good as a a setup to a finisher uh but uh but yeah i mean he and greg valentine pretty much personify his tenure in wwf and these guys beat the shit out of each other yeah in ring, and that's what made it better in my opinion not only did they have chemistry in the ring but they did not hold back and you felt it you felt the chemistry because of it so uh leonard i know that you like this feud so you have oh, any yeah. thoughts
1: yeah, you, and and that's the thing that I was always more and we talked about this more of an NWA kid than a WWF kid. I don't know. So this felt like a, very much of an NWA style feud with the types of matches they were putting on. I mean, they were doing the chops and you and you heard them it, it, yeah. was, it was stiff. And I absolutely loved the angle of Garvin becoming a referee. You've never seen that before, and I don't think you've seen that since. I mean, right. you've seen referees go bad and become managers and become wrestlers like danny davis Taylon became a man not as a
0: result of being retired
1: <laughs> Yes, yeah, so not as a role as being retired and becoming a referee and then having a face biased referee who's going against the heels and is being uh, favoriting the faces so it was really unique and i know garvin said that that was his idea everything i think part of the valentine feud was his idea right and it was certainly different you you know again it was something that every angle comes back at some point in wrestling but i don't think that is one that had and i could see someone making that work especially today with the the way the sports sports entertainment slate is uh slant that's the word i went slant um also to the uh ring announcer thing is hilarious cuz he uh when he like was reading Valentine's stats he he said oh he's 30 pounds heavier than this you know like that and it was it was it was it was very, it was very funny and you could tell and i always thought as a kid and i don't think they ever said this out loud but it was jack tunney not liking greg valentine and allowing garvin to mess with him right and allowing garvin to you know, do enough that Valentine would ask for his reinstatement. That was always the connotation I got, even though they never kind of said that. Right. And then, one thing that, that you didn't mention was another aspect of the feud, especially after Garvin came back, was their competing shin guards. That right. great, great Valentine had the heartbreaker shin guard, which was supposedly adding more pressure to the figure four when he would apply it. And he would sometimes take it off and use it to hit a guy with. And then so Ronnie Garvin had a shin guard called the Hammer Jammer, which was supposed to counteract his uh, shin guard and also add to to his move. He was using the sharpshooter at this time. And when we did the locker room talk with Garvin, he mentioned that was his idea as well, because he always wanted to do a feud with Ric Flair, where the idea was who does the best figure four because Garvin used the figure four as well. And right. Fleur said, no, because I do the best figure four. That's not like a question. We're not doing that. So he brought that up, I guess, to, to Vince. And then they threw in the, the shin guard aspect of it. And as a kid, I, I always wanted as memorabilia a hammer jammer shin guard and a monogrammed Ronnie Garvin towel. So anyone out there listening, Christmas is coming. Just to yeah. put that out there.
0: Yeah, that would be that would be a cool piece of memorabilia to have. Uh, and, you know, that was a you know a pretty eye catching part of their Royal Rumble submission match, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually added to the card, in my opinion, because it was kind of a break from the usual match. And uh, it added to it. You know, this was a a few that had been built over a long period of time, and both guys were really making it work. And this was a cool way to put it to a close. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of times when we do spotlights, you know, we talk about some notable matches and, you know, pretty much the notable matches are the ones we mentioned. He had a match against Dino Bravo,
1: yeah. in
0: the Royal Rumble in uh, 1989, and he had the, some, the feud with with Greg Valentine. And, you know, i watched, I guess, what would have been a random house show match on the MSG network between he and Valentine. And uh, in that particular one, Greg Valentine won and yeah uh,
1: he he did get some some
0: jobber matches i know those are out there as well yeah
1: like against barry horowitz and the usual suspects right but yeah it's it's very interesting to note that mostly garvin it was was garvin and valentine and then those couple of other blips like you said against bravo which we talked about when we did our underrated and favorite wrestlemania's and we talked about wrestlemania 5 and that's only three minutes long but i think it could have been better if they would have cut some dead weight and gave them about about 10 minutes right. uh it's inter- and it's interesting to note that Bravo's canadian as is garvin and he was supposed to feud with martel who's also canadian and right. i think that would have been a good feud yeah because i think they would have gelled well you know martel is a little bit more athletic than garvin garvin's a little bit bigger and stronger so i think they could work really well together and i'll ask you this of anyone else In the WWF at the time, and I know this is off the top of your head, who could Ronnie Garvin have feuded with? The only other person I really thought of was Earthquake, because Earthquake's also Canadian. Earthquake was also managed by Jimmy Hart, like Valentine. So it would be an easy segue. You know, Earthquake goes after Garvin in order to get revenge for Valentine for the Royal Rumble loss. And you know, you mentioned the Garvin Stomp. Earthquake does like the tremor Stomp before he does the splash. So they both have like this Stomp move. Right. So I thought Garvin Earthquake, I think, could have been something.
0: Well, that would have been a good one, you know. But I would also say, I think that, you know, we should have seen what he could have done as heel. Um, you know, he left NWA uh, Jim Croc promotions before we really got to see how he's going to do as a heel. I think if he had been heel at some point in WWF, like he could have feuded with somebody like Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I, I think that that would have been yeah. an interesting feud to, to see. Um, and that would have kind of opened up the options. You know, I mean, like he could have feuded with, you know, Honky Tonk Man or something like that, but that's not really a match I want to see, <laughs> you know. No. Um, so, you know, and like when you think about Ronnie Garvin and Rick Roode, I don't know. Like, I don't know that those styles would mesh But, like, you know, like the possibilities are endless, but especially if if he would have made him uh, a heel. I think that he could have done a lot of things in in that regard. Um, But uh, what's interesting about this is that, you know, he would return to Puerto Rico after this um, and spend some more time there. But uh, his, you know, full time in wrestling. Was pretty much done after this stint in WWE. He uh, would go to Jim Cornette's Smoky Mountain Wrestling promotion and feud with uh, Paul Orndorff and Kevin Sullivan. Um, he ran his own promotion in Knoxville, Tennessee, called Tennessee Mountain Wrestling from 1995 to 2001. He would make uh, you know sporadic appearances at independent promotions, you know, and would compete uh, at the Legends Battle Royal at the Juggalo championship wrestling event which uh i don't think that would be a career highlight for mr Garvin.
1: you know and i don't think i've mentioned this before i actually saw ronnie garvin wrestle in an indie show in the, here in ohio mid 90s i was maybe four, 14 13 or 14 years old he was the main event was ronnie garvin versus abdul the butcher the sub main was junkyard dog versus prince kaharis the mummy was a dude in the mummy suit and then uh the other notable match was bobby fulton versus freebird bad street which was just the dude in 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 the freebird gimmick it was not brad armstrong i would be reasonably sure uh and that was uh in a barn at a fairgrounds <laughs> right yes but um i remember i and i got to talk to ronnie garvin and I got his autograph, and even though I spelled my name, he misspelled my name. How, left, did
0: he, how did he spell it?
1: He left the O out. He spelled it L E N A R D. And can, I know he can't French really say Canadian, anything. And it's oddly enough that when I have had my name misspelled, it, it's been uh, because Rutger Hauer also misspelled my name on an autograph. Who's who's Dutch? Right. So so I think it's maybe something with. The, the, the foreign, maybe they spell Leonard different and foreign lands. I don't know. <laughs> but even when I spell it. But when I got Ronnie Garvin's autograph the second time, the Circleville show, we did get that correct.
0: Well, so I do have a correct spell. If you spell your name differently than the regular, please let us know. Yes. You
1: know. Yeah. But, you know, anyway, I just want, I want to say that in close here is I think Ronnie Garvin is tremendously underrated and overlooked today. And I think a main reason for that it's because that cup of coffee he had with the NWA World Title—it's right. looked down upon. It I is, mean, yeah. You know, if he had a longer run, maybe, or if he didn't have the run at all, maybe. But it was just that small blip that I think makes people overlook him.
0: Yeah, they kind yeah. of scoff at it because it was just yeah. a matter of getting the belt off Flair just so that he could win it back again. Right. And um, you know, when- does—he does deserve more credit than that.
1: Yeah, and when we when we talked to him about that, and again, he he did that because he was a good company man. That's what they wanted. But he only defended it one time, and it was a favor to a promoter up in the Portland, Oregon area. And he said it snowed and like 10 people showed up. <laughs> and the guy still paid him what they agreed to, even though Garvin said don't, don't worry about it. You know, just get me home, just just honor the plane ticket. Right. And uh, but he still he still insisted on paying Garvin. I don't remember the name of the um, promoter now. And I don't remember who he said he defended. It. I don't think he did say who he defended it against. Maybe we can look that up somewhere. Uh, but that would be interesting to to know. But and, you know, when you talk about his WWF run, which we've done here tonight, it's largely under the radar. You know, I think that feud with Valentine went really long and it was a mid card feud. Uh, And it was something that the core audience of the WWF at the time being kids wouldn't have gone into. Right. And Garvin's personality overall, I don't think really appeals. And and that's a knock against him too, is that he wasn't a great promo. I think a lot of that has to do with that uh, French patois act, you know, accent that he has. Right. And, and you can find, you know, some Garvin promos online that kind of make fun of, how you know how bad they are kind of the stuff that he's saying but great in the ring really competent and and, you know overall it's just not a good fit of personality I know that it was talked about that Pat Patterson gave him a call Uh, but I have to wonder why Vince McMahon would want him anyway and the only thing I can think of is just because he was a former NWA champion and so that Vince could tick a box and and or a favor to Pat yeah, so yeah, and/or a favor, favor to Pat, uh, because we you've heard plenty of stories of Pat going and and Jim Cornette tells these stories too, where they wanted to use a guy and you just had to pitch him the right way to right. Vince. Like you to know how to talk to Vince to get him to not only want the guy but to think it was his idea in the first. Right. Yeah, That's yeah. Probably what happened. You know, Pat was trying to throw him a bone, uh, given what he was doing at the time, but. As I said, I love Ronnie Garvin. I'm glad we did this and was able to talk about him. And if you haven't watched, again, you don't need to find the jobber matches. But finds particularly that Royal Rumble match. It's probably Garvin's. One of his best, The feud with Flair I actually like. I like both matches he had with Flair during that where he wins a title and drops the title back. And that Valentine match. And I would probably have to sit down and watch some other things to make a list. But those would probably be, in my estimation, the top three Ronnie Garvin matches, especially the ones easy to find.
0: And, you know, he he wasn't a cartoonish character. No. And that was what the WWF was, you know, it was their bread and butter, was characters that were larger than life. And which makes me wonder why he tried to go to WWF. I guess he wanted work and wanted money, but, like, he had a ready-made feud coming with Dusty Rhodes in nwa yeah and uh i think he fit there really well and i think his legacy might be more known if he had stayed there and maybe had feuds you know over the u.s title or you know had you know partnered with Wyndham for tag team title matches whatever um but he kind of is another one of those guys that played hopscotch a little bit in that he would be in AWA, he would be in uh, Puerto Rico, he'd be in WWF. And, uh, you know, aside from the flair feud in MWA, never made a, his enough of a mark as he could have. But I agree with you that he's very underrated in the ring. I think he has a really good style that can mesh well with technical people and with people who are just brawlers, um, which is a good trait to have. Um, and yeah, it would have been cool to see him have other feuds though.
1: Yeah. Uh and and just uh you know o- overall I know too cuz I don't know if you're continuing to go down the path after he retired from wrestling. He did have his own promotion for a while in the Tennessee area that he ran. I believe he had a training school. Um yeah. so you know he's a guy that is very sm- smart to the to the business. Yeah. Um as as, as far as being able to do things and, you know, he ran his own promotion. I, I I doubt that there's a lot of tapes or stuff out there. I would love to see some stuff because if the Valentine feud is any indication, he's a good booker. He has good ideas. Again, that the, yeah. the Hingard thing was original. The referee thing was original. So, yeah. you know, I would like to and, – and the reason that he probably didn't, say, become – like a Pat Patterson was I don't think he had the drive to. You know if you right. see him in interviews he's very laid back, he's very chill and and I got this too when I met him I'd be you would ask him a question and he was just like, "Oh, you know," and just very calm about it. Would tell you a story like he was ordering a sandwich. Not not the greatest storyteller on earth even though he had great stories to tell and was very open.
0: He wouldn't have been you know? a lifer for the road. Yeah. And I think that that would have you know, I think he could have offered, you know, some of the generations after him a lot of wisdom and advice and training. Um, but if you're not made for that lifestyle, then you're not made for that lifestyle. So, yeah, I
1: mean, he's still well pre COVID. I know he was still making personal appearances. He wasn't wrestling, but he would make appearances. And that Circleville show I mentioned, he did, he was the what was it? He was the guest ring enforcer for the main event, something like that,
0: you know, just to be out there. Right. Well, I hope you have enjoyed our coverage of Ronnie Garvin in the WWF. Let us know what you thought of it, what your memories are of him. And uh, we will be coming at you next week with a new installment of our Down and Dirty Move Breakdown, which is always a fun one for us. And for Leonard, my name is Chad. We will see you next week. Alexa, we'll see you out.